Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome to the show, Ridiculous Historians. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. We are on the precipice of 2021. And as this is our first time recording in the new year, uh, how long do you think we can call it the new year, Noel? To like just January or? I think all year. <laughs> I think until until there's another new year, right? I don't, I don't know, Ben. Uh, this is a Lisa. This is a very heady question, and we're going to be asking a lot of heady questions today. We're going to be doing a lot of um, waxing philosophical. I totally stole that from a, an article that we're using here, but it's a, a phrase that I really love about the future. Uh, because, you know, 2021, if ever there was a more futuristic sounding year than 2020, it was 2021, my friend. And 2020 was a garbage year. So let's forget about that. And let's move on to the real future, which starts right now. And in today's first part of a two-part episode. Hey. Hey. Uh, we are we are partnering with our ride-or-die super producer, Casey Pegram. <laughs> To share some predictions. Now, you know, Noel, I was thinking about this. Our pal slash nemesis, Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. The Quister, has historically done a lot of prediction episodes on his show, Tech Stuff. That's right. It always seemed like such a gamble to me. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't like the idea of making predictions unless you have to. But we, being a show that is both ridiculous and about history, found some just bonkers, amazing predictions about the 21st century, not from people alive today, but from the great minds of years before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, preemptively from the great beyond uh, in our preemptive two-parter. And not only are they dead, uh, they were in fact some great minds, some real kind of like neo-futurists, you know, before that was really as much of a thing as we think of today. Um, we're talking about writers of science fiction. We're talking about inventors. We're talking about just a lot of great uh, forward-thinking intellects of uh, our time. Yes. Yeah, so we know that uh, predictions are a big business, right? You find predictions in the stock market. You find them in the world of tech. You find them in the world of politics, economics, and uh, ecology. Some predictions have already come to pass. You know, the idea that 
the uh, world's human population would rise over time. That seems to be true. The fact that technology would disrupt numerous industries and parts of people's daily lives, that's true. But those are very broad things. What we're bringing you here today are some uh, specifics. And with this, who better to start our story than the one, the only, you know him, you love him, Nikola Tesla. It turns out, in addition to inventing, he made a lot of predictions. Yeah, Tesla indeed. And, and he not he wasn't a science fiction writer. He was basically a creator of real life science fiction. Uh, well, I guess science fact. Have you ever been to the Griffith Park Observatory in Los Angeles, Ben? Yes. Yes, I have. You may recall then that there is a Tesla coil there that mm -hmm. always strikes me as something right out of science fiction, probably because it's used so frequently in like, you know, mad scientist laboratory scenes. And in fact, the one that is in the Griffith Park Observatory was featured in uh, the kind of classic universal school of monster movies. Um, so that's a fun thing to go see. But yeah, it's he was very much someone that was very functional and practical in the way he was able to kind of take these ideas that he had and convert them into real life inventions, but he also made a lot of very, uh, let's just say, kind of bold uh, predictions about the future, some of which were a little more on point than others. He is thought of even still today, as one of the great thinkers of the modern age, but some of his predictions were super weird and niche. For example, he truly believed with his heart of hearts uh, that in the 21st century, which is the thing they would have referred to at the time, the 21st century, um, this mystical future time uh, where Earth, everything will you know, be vastly different, um, people wouldn't drink coffee anymore. He mm. thought coffee was like going to be super gauche because he looked at it as a means of poisoning uh, oneself. Um, any kind of stimulants uh, like nicotine or caffeine, um, he seemed like he had a personal grudge against, but he was trying mm -hmm. to kind of read the tea leaves of like what popular society or civilized society rather would, would accept. And he believed that in the future, these things would be considered super passe uh, and then no one would drink them anymore or, or, or you know, um, uh, ingest nicotine. Mm -hmm. It's true. Yeah. And uh, just cheers to everybody listening along uh, like me and maybe like you, Nolan, enjoying a nice cup of coffee here. It turns out uh, as as much as I love you, Mr. Tesla, you were dead wrong about this one. Uh, we are still swigging jugs of Java as though our lives depend on it. He was partially right about nicotine. Smoking rates have continued time over time to decline. But he was, he was also super, super, super confident about these predictions. All of the ones we're telling you, there were none that he said, I don't know, I give it like a 30, 70 chance. Uh, he, did, he did make one correct call about beverages in general. He said booze would still be around. He didn't think it was the same thing as like coffee. He, in fact, loved it. He called it an elixir of life. Yeah, spoken like a true lush. Um, yeah, it's true. It's funny too, Ben. You, you talk about, you're right. Obviously, you know, uh, smoking actual combustible cigarettes is is super on the decline, but um, there's all kinds of other, you know, delivery mechanisms mm -hmm. for people's precious nicotine, whether it's gum or whether it's, you know, the, the weirdly neo-futuristic vape. 
uh, mechanisms, which still kind of weirds me out in a lot of ways. To me, that's one of the most futury looking things that, that is, is around today is vaping. Maybe that's mm-hmm. just, uh, I don't know why I think that. I like the ones that look like walkie talkies. Yeah. And if I see somebody, you know who I'm talking about with the little stubby stem yeah, yeah, yeah. and the handheld thing about the size of your palm. I love that because when I see somebody with one, I always like to pretend they're a spy from you know, the 80s or 90s before they had earbuds. Or it's like they're smoking out of one of those super clunky, like, early 90s cell phones, you know, the car phones, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. ones with, like, the big fat uh, receivers and the giant antenna on top. Um, but, yeah, Tesla was a, was dead wrong about the coffee and, and slightly less dead wrong, but still wrong about the nicotine and dead right about alcohol. People love a good drink every now and then. Um, and he also was a really big proponent of nutrition, um, despite being clearly a bit of a booze hound. He uh, was was a huge fan. He, he wasn't a vegan exactly, but he was a big fan of like uh, not eating too much meat. And he really liked things like milk and honey and wheat, which uh, were ingredients shown by uh, a gentleman by the name of Bernard McFadden to be usable in creating a kind of a foodstuffs that were a little more sustainable and a little more uh, natural and would create uh, a population that would live longer in theory. Yeah, yeah. And this is an idea that a lot of other people shared and a lot of people share today. Uh, you know, one one that always stuck out to me was uh, Robert Heinlein, who the, you know, the famous sci-fi writer, mm-hmm. uh, he had written things like Stranger in a Strange Land and so on. Uh, as far back as the early 1950s, Heinlein was saying beef is not going to last at the levels of consumption it's at now. Eventually, in his mind, fish and yeast would become the main sources of protein. Asimov took this even further in uh, 1964. He said that the World's Fair of 2014 would feature algae bars uh, and pseudo steak, sort of like, uh, I I guess the most extreme version of that would be like, sort of like those bars they're served on uh, the film Snow Crash. No spoilers. Watch it. It's worth it. Uh, And it looks like, if you think about it, in a very vague well, somewhat vague way, uh, these guys were predicting the rise of things like impossible burgers or alternatives to meat. Uh, What are those? What is it? Is it Morningstar? Is that the brand? Yeah, they make the fake chicken nuggets and all that. And there's like things like corn, yeah. <laughs> like chicken nuggets made out of corn. With a Q. Uh, with a Q. It's got to have a Q. That's how you know it's 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 on the cutting edge. Um, There's a really huge billboard off of the interstate near near where I live that says nut milk is not milk. And if you look at it from far enough away, it just looks like it says nut milk is nut milk. But it's a big bone of contention with the milk lobby. Uh, this idea that using the word milk is, is a no-no when it comes to nut milk because it's really not actual milk. And I got into a conversation with a friend of mine about this and she brought up the fact that it's super weird that we drink 
the milk of other animals, and that that's very unusual in in uh, in, in life. Uh, mm. And it's something that we, I think, Ben, you've mentioned before on the show. It's something we had to adapt to, like our bodies, like you know, over time, have adapted to drinking cow's milk, except for those poor souls that are lactose intolerant, right? Yeah, yeah, it's a uh, it's a mutation that has not hit the entirety of the human species. It's actually it's incredibly unusual for any animal, any mammal to drink milk uh, of its own species or, of course, another species into adulthood. It's kind of a juvenile characteristic that some parts of the population have adapted to keep into adulthood. So milk is always kind of a weird thing. We've got an episode coming up on Stuff They Don't Want You Know, another show that we do about uh, dairy and livestock in general. So do check it out if you'd like to learn more. So if we're keeping, if you're keeping a checklist at home here, folks, Nikola Tesla was kind of right about tobacco, but to Noel's point, he did not anticipate the differing delivery methods. He was totally wrong about coffee. He was right about alcohol. And the sci-fi writers so far are, what would you say? I would say they're kind of right. They're pretty about close to alternatives. right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we're, I mean, look, they're, they're, like you said, Ben, a lot of these predictions are said with uh, a sort of extreme authority that is is hard to give full credit to. You know, they're mm. basically saying, like, society is going to completely pivot to this means of sustenance. And as we know, you know, people like all kinds of different things. Uh, I have to say, I think we buried the lead slightly. I love the, the term pseudo-steak. Mm-hmm. I wish that would have taken off. Um, instead, we just call it, what, Saiten? Saiten, I think, is the closest uh, thing to pseudo-steak. And mock turkey, which I guess would be something like tofurkey. But I'm a big fan of the Impossible Burgers, not because I'm like anti-meat. I just think they taste really good. And the fact that they bleed, quote unquote, which is sold as a feature, not a bug, Mm -hmm. I think is very strange. Um, Mm -hmm. But that's not that's not what makes me like it. But I think we have gotten to a place where you have a lot more options now. But it's certainly not something that society as a whole has gravitated towards and, like, you know, dumped everything, right? Dumped everything else. Right. Yeah. It's sort of like, you know, the rise of the ebook or the Kindle did not kill the physical book and probably won't for a very long, long time. I. Uh, these things can exist without being mutually exclusive. The real question is one of price. And in parts of the world for a very long time, beef was itself a luxury. It's still a luxury in many parts of the planet. So the alternative meat stuff is interesting. I love it. Um, Some listeners know I was a vegetarian for a long time, a number of years ago. Uh, I I have no longer a vegetarian. I'm omnivorous. But yeah, man, get down on an Impossible Burger. If you haven't tried one, they're pretty They're pretty solid. I would say they taste good. Uh, but bean burgers taste good too. I had one uh, just a few weeks ago. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. 
Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts of a spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. And I think, Ben, both of us being fans of, of home cooking, I think we can both attest to, like, it's sort of a misnomer that, like, oh, if you eat vegetarian food, then it's, like, flavorless or bland or something. That's only if you, like, don't know how to cook or don't know, you know, don't have a good recipe. Because everything that when you're when you're cooking, it's all about how you season it. It's all about the ingredients you use. You can make vegetarian food taste incredible. There's just so much flavor possibility in vegetarian food, which leads us to our next point mm-hmm. that uh, they, many of these uh, forward-thinking models minds of the time believed that fruits and vegetables would be a big deal, would be absolutely huge, uh, let's call it, in the 21st century. Um, You know, for a lot of reasons. A, they're sustainable. You can grow them yourselves and you can keep, you know, tend to them and you don't have to put all these, I mean, obviously there's water consumption issues to think about, but in general, it seems like a little bit more of a long game uh, that we as a human species could sustain, much more so than the beef problem, which we know has all kinds of issues beyond just humanitarian, but just about the methane that's produced and all of the, you know, uh, conditions in farms. And, you know, uh, we don't have to get into all that stuff like the Upton Sinclair <laughs> meatpacking industry stuff. Mm-hmm. But there's it is rife with potential problems, whereas fruits and vegetables, none of that <laughs> ick factor really comes into play. So in 1900, you had someone named John Elferth Watkins Jr. who wrote in a uh, uh, the Ladies' Home Journal that we would be eating uh, strawberries, raspberries, and blueberries, quote, as large as apples, and peas and beans would be as big as beets, he says. Yeah. Now, okay, let's pause for a second because we have to understand the concerns about what are called GMOs, short for genetically modified organisms, didn't really exist in the 1900s. A century ago, that wasn't something that people were super concerned about. I also have to point out whenever GMOs come up, things that we eat before the concern of GMOs, like corn, they were already genetically modified through right. breeding. So sure. it's it's a weird term. They weren't worried about this. Uh, they, they did predict, as you said, an extreme version of a trend that is occurring. It's not hard to find really, really big fruits. We know that because there's a lot of pretty solid science put into creating strains of things like seedless fruits, right? Or things that are larger than uh, the fruit you would find in the wild. But some folks even went 
further, and they brought the atomic age into the mix. Gotta love a good <laughs> atomic age prediction. Um, and I love that they do this without batting an eyelash or considering that maybe you shouldn't eat those basketball-sized tomatoes that were caused to be that way because of fallout. <laughs> left behind by the hydrogen bomb. Um, that just, the, the, there's really no cautionary kind of spirit in any of these predictions. Um, there was a, uh, a an article in 1956 from the independent press Telegrams magazine called Southland, um, where a, uh, a gentleman by the name of George Service comes up with this whole notion of a farm from the year 2000. In the year 2000, uh, when hydrogen bombs uh, would cause the soil to produce three-foot-long carrots, four-foot-wide turnips, and the aforementioned basketball-sized tomatoes. Mm -hmm. Ah, and what if those tomatoes weren't just basketball-sized, but what if they were also Square, uh, former agricultural secretary Orville Freeman, believed that the mechanization of agriculture would lead to a more efficient production and that a knock-on effect of this would be the creation of square fruits, no, square tomatoes, rather. Now, he's not... He's not totally wrong. He just got the wrong plant because you can... Today, or when they're in season, you can buy square watermelons and square melons of several different types in places like Japan. Uh, this this is true. They are more expensive. Uh, but I love his I, I love one of the arguments for the square produce folks, and it's this. They said they'll be <laughs> better they'll be better on sandwiches. Yeah, because I, I just I just know I, nothing I hate more than a round tomato on a square sandwich. I need the edges to perfectly align so that every bite gives me a perfect uh, you know combination of the ingredients. We already have round bread. Yeah, you can. You, I mean, I, but God, round bread just seems wrong, Ben. That just seems wrong, Ben. I got to back up two clicks. How do they do those uh, square melons, man? Do they grow them in a box or something? Mm -hmm. Like in a you really okay? Yeah, I, it's it's pretty low level technology. Uh, it's it's clever, though. I'll send you the link. They have, they grow them into those frames, into those shapes, but they're purely ornamental and they're often like the equivalent of a hundred dollars or so. People pay out the nose for melons. Do you guys, Casey, I'm going to ask you first, since you haven't chimed in this episode yet, do you remember the early internet meme hoax thing by the name of Bonsai Kitten? Oh, absolutely. I remember the Bonsai Kitten. Tell us about Bonsai Kitten, Casey. And I actually was not aware that this was like a hoax. So I'm glad because that was like kitten cruelty. It was basically a kitten that had been stuffed into kind of like a square glass container, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And um, yes. that's pretty much all there is to it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You grow your kitty in a, in a square, uh, clear glass container and it molds around so it becomes like a perfectly cubed kitten. All for the kawaii of it all. So back to these predictions. Uh, luckily, yes, Bonsai Kitten, for anyone familiar, is a hoax. Uh, I've got a, I've got a check in here. Casey, how, what's your take on the alternative meat field or on the alternative protein field in general? Um, I think it's a worthwhile field of study. Um, mm -hmm. I've had like some impossible burgers, that kind of thing. They're fine. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I am a meat eater, but I also enjoy kind of trying the new stuff. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, the meat substitutes thing seems like a, a, a reasonable thing to me. Would you eat insects? No, probably not. 
Um, <laughs> this this become like an internet meme, right? Like eat the bug, stay in the pod. <laughs> I don't know about this. I would definitely <laughs> eat the bug if it was one of those crunchy little cricket boys. I yeah, I could I could see like a deep fried chocolate dipped kind of thing, maybe yeah. um, to just like mask the taste, so you don't really even notice. I would do that on a lark, but. Not as like a steady part of my diet. What if you knew a, a false burger, I say false, a false burger patty was uh, made up of ground up locusts or something, but it wasn't buggy in texture. Would you be okay with that? Um, yeah, why not? Sure, yeah. I would try it anyway. Yeah. I just read the ingredients after dinner. Uh, exactly, so, yes, yes. So, Noel, uh, what about you? Just a second ago, you said you were you were down with eating our insectoid friends. Big time. And like I, like I just said, especially I think uh, I know there are ways where you can grind them up to make, uh, you know, different textures in, you know, meat substitute products. And I think that would be an interesting use of insects. And I know they add a lot of protein and they have a lot kind of a nutty flavor. And uh, I know that sounds gross to say that bugs have a nutty flavor, but I'm OK with it. I'm on board. I have never had opportunity, though, to eat a cricket, but I would do it. So I you guys might remember uh me and a uh, friend of the show, Lauren Vogelbaum, we've eaten several insects on our old show, Snack Stuff, uh, including crickets in three different flavors, ate some locusts. Oh, I've had some beetles before. I ate uh, not not maggots, grubs. I ate grubs. grubs from Korea. And they tasted the way that uh, tires smell on a hot day, which is a very synesthetic way to describe those. <laughs> but I, I bring this up because the UN... Uh, predicted that uh, people will start eating bugs as part of their standard diet to help save the planet or save the ecosystem. The thing is, a lot of people aren't catching on. And, uh, you know, understandably, I think that squigs people out. But maybe kelp, maybe seaweed is a more acceptable substitute. What do you mm. think? Well, as a, as a big uh, sushi eater, I'm absolutely fine with seaweed. I uh, really like a good seaweed salad. Kelp is a little bit burlier, I think, than just regular old seaweed, if I'm not mistaken. Like, it's a little thicker, and, like, it's the kind of stuff where if you're wading out of the ocean, you get it caught on your feet, and it has, like, these weird little kind of, like, buoy things that hang off the sides, sort of look like octopus tentacles. That stuff does squig me out a little bit, but apparently quite sustainable and uh, pretty good in a salad. And there were predictions that uh, by the Rand Corporation that in 1966, um, in an effort to uh, promote eating more kelp, they predicted that in the future, uh, massive underwater fields of kelp and other varieties of seaweed would be kept by um, underwater farmers, um, a.k.a. frogmen, one of our favorite terms from stuff they don't want you to know. You often hear about spies, Russian spies, wearing scuba gear, being referred to as frogmen. Uh, I always think of the opening to Johnny Quest, where you see the particularly froggy-looking frogmen wearing the green scuba suits. Um, but yeah, this notion that you could take this kelp, which is very rich in protein, uh, and make it taste like anything you want, uh, like Willy Wonka style. Yeah, it's it's almost a uh, <laughs> it's almost a, a gobstopper, mm -hmm. right? Uh, the schnozberries taste of schnozberries. Mm -hmm. uh, but don't worry, this prediction is still coming to pass. And like you said, Noel, you can find protein-rich kelp in uh, a couple of different applications now. Maybe not as extreme as the Rancor once imagined in 1966. But we assure you, folks, we've looked into it. And eating kelp is not going to lead you down some sort of terrible Veruca salt 
Oh, no, wait. It wasn't Veruca Salt. What was her name? Uh, she was always chewing gum. Violet Beauregard. Violet Beauregard will mm-hmm. not lead you down a Violet Beauregard path. You won't be rolled out blueberry-sized, or you won't turn into an enormous piece of kelp. Quickly back to the frogmen, though, uh, this prediction, um, which didn't come to pass, I would love to see this happen, this notion of an underwater farm maintained by these scuba men, uh, and that they would live in these, like, underwater bunkers um, for, like, weeks out of the year while they tended to their crop. That prediction kind of kept going. This idea of living subterraneanly, like either underground or underwater. Isaac Asimov, another fantastic uh, thinker, um, thought that in order to conquer, I guess, what he would maybe see as like the uh, inevitable annihilation of the above ground planet and the atmosphere and such, perhaps we'd do a better job of uh, setting up underground cities. Very Mm -hmm. post-apocalyptic stuff. Um, Using advanced light technology that could create the same quality of light as you'd have outdoors, um, and then just use the Earth's surface for agriculture and grazing ground and parks. Not quite as bleak as I was getting at, but um, he definitely didn't quite land that one um, on the bullseye, did he? Well, not maybe not yet. There are underground facilities that are the size of small towns, but they are almost entirely like bunkers for some above-ground disaster. They're not fun places yet. There are a couple of things that are temporary. They're they're like tangentially related. There are some fantastic undersea hotels you can go to in Singapore, Dubai, the Caribbean uh, that let you get a... Uh, get the feel of living life beneath the waves. And I believe there's a there's a plan in New York to create an underground park called the Low Line, sort of an alternative to the High Line, right? Yeah, the High Line is like that kind of mixed-use kind of area in New York that's part park, part like shopping district, and it's all made, if I'm not mistaken, out of like disused railway lines, sort of like the Beltline is here in Atlanta. Um, But yeah, they have sort of a subterranean alternative to it that I have not heard much about. I don't believe it's uh, debuted yet, but it's called the Low Line, and it would be like kind of like a similar like underground kind of mixed use shopping and dwelling kind of situation. Uh, You don't have to be a mole person or a frogman to apply. LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop. 
Podcast producer? Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Another urban prediction that I thought was really interesting, and it's Asimov is one person who predicted this, but many other people, not just in the realm of science fiction, have predicted this. It's the emergence of the megacity, the megapolis, right? Uh, he thought that he was looking at the growth of Boston and Washington and D.C., and he said, you know, eventually these things are going to run into each other. Mm -hmm. They're going to be one huge just city that doesn't stop. And I think we're well on the way to that. I guess so. But my question is sort of like to what end? Like, is it is it out of, um, oh, I guess uh, efficiency? So you just have one government? Like, it, it gets to a point where if it becomes big enough and it's all just mushed together, then there is, is there even a need for local government versus like federal government? So like the whole point of like, you know, the United States is that we've got different cities and states, obviously, that have that are kind of governed independently. And if you start just kind of mashing them all together, you sort of lose some of that individuality. I just wonder what was he thinking? thinking as to how what benefit this would have. You know, it may not have been a question so much for him of benefits as one of inevitability, that the suburbs and exurbs that keep expanding Got and, and are continually constructed kind of blur. eventually blur. And that's, I mean, that's sort of happening. And if the trends continue, it may well be uh, that the distinction between Boston and uh, D.C. becomes increasingly a matter of tradition. I don't know. I think people will, I think locals will tend to want to keep their governments though. They, mm. There might be something that exists that's like the uh, the great Eastern seaboard conglomeration or something like that, but they'll still want, you know, the mayor of Boston is still going to want to be the mayor of Boston, you know? Sure. And, and, you know, as much as people maybe like rag on their local politicians, at least they feel like they have some agency, you know, and they're and they're somehow different from people that live in other cities and that they have their own like unique kind of personality and like culture. I think that's really important. So I'm not I am not a fan of this prediction. Uh, and I hope it's not as inevitable as Asimov thought. I am a big fan of this next one. Mm. I want to speak a little bit or talk a little bit about the presumed kind of science behind it this idea of course it was robert a heinlein who wrote uh oh what did he write uh the one about mars he, he had like a series of um of books about uh, traveling to mars and setting up colonies on mars and I, I know it has mars in the name and i am forgetting the name entirely but uh you guys can look it up google that uh but he believed that there would or should and would be nursing homes on the moon and that was because he thought that living on the moon where gravity is just 17% of the gravity found on Earth would actually slow down the aging process. Um, mm -hmm. He thought that, like, you know, older bodies that were deteriorating, having frail joints, uh, they would they would feel less pain. Um, their weak hearts wouldn't have to work so hard. And I guess, you know, people always say gravity is your worst enemy uh, in, in terms of aging because everything goes down, you know, everything sags and all of that stuff. And, like, you're, you're constantly being pulled towards the center of, of gravity. Um, what do you think, Ben? Does that hold true? Or, or does this sound like some science fiction-y thinking? Oh, my repressed 
my repressed uh, childhood astronaut is coming out here. Uh, first, I think you are you talking about Red Planet by Red Heidlin? Planet, exactly, correct. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. He also wrote Starship Troopers. That's right, cool dude. Uh, but but yeah, to your to your point, man, it's a nice idea and it's it's a laudable one, and I think it's cool that he is keeping uh, older patients or members of the hu- human species in his thoughts. But it doesn't consider radiation. It doesn't consider the inevitable degradation of the musculature if we keep people on the moon in low-gravity environments for such a long time. It would be a one-way ticket if they Mm -hmm. lived there for a long time. Um, And maybe we can create the technology that would allow people to live in space for an extended period, but... Interestingly enough, to bring this part one of our two-part series back around just a bit, uh, the best chance for people to live long-term on the moon is still going to be living under the surface uh, because that lunar rock will shield them from the radiation of the cosmos. Well, Ben, we also haven't talked about how your your, your childhood uh, uh, internal astronaut might bring up this point, too. you got to be in tip-top peak shape to even make that voyage to the moon. You know, so what would that be like to, to send some elderly folks that are frail in the first place and how, what impact would that have on their bodies just to even get there? Would it, would it maybe set them back? Uh, you know what I mean? Like, I see your point about the radiation. Like, there's all these other mitigating factors that maybe would work against this, like, miracle cure of living in, like, lower gravity. And, and if not, can't we recreate low gravity uh, conditions here on Earth? Yes. Yes, we can. Uh, can we create the... Wow, you like I'm such a propagandist for this? Yes, we can. Yes, uh, but we can. <laughs> right now, our trouble, like our trouble, would be recreating those conditions for a long period, for years and years and years. That is a little bit more difficult for us. Uh, but I, I think, I think it's worthwhile. I just, ah, man, how cool would it be? How cool would it be if? A few decades from now, we could get together and just instead of saying, hey, let's let's all go on a road trip or, hey, let's all go visit Japan or something. We could say, hey, let's go visit the lunar base. Um, Another thing I think needs to be considered in this equation is think of the uh, think of your loved ones. Think of the folks in your life who might potentially benefit from living on the moon. They would be very far away and it would be tough for you to see them. You know, you would be on lunar zoom calls. So it might not work for everyone, but gosh, man, I don't know. Would you do it? Would you guys do it? Would you go to the moon? Let's say you were in like your, you're in your mid eighties. You're in pretty good condition, but age is catching up with you. Would you go to the moon and live there if it meant you could live to 120? Sure. Yeah. Why not? (laughs) I'm guess. (laughs) This is that same thing we talked about, Ben, this idea of making a New Year's resolution or thinking about your future self. My present (laughs) self gives my future self, you know, all the support that I can muster to go to the moon. But my future self might not feel the same way. But we'll see. We'll see. We'll see if I even get to my mid-80s to even make that call. And who knows? By the time we're in our mid-80s, maybe this will be an option. Um, Maybe a lot of these things will have come to pass that we are now Mm -hmm. poo-pooing as like, you know, because what is a great forward-thinking, you know, predictive mind, if not someone that is constantly being told, ooh, you missed the mark on that one, only to like 10 years later, things 
do go that way. So mm-hmm. I don't know. A lot left to be written about some of these predictions. Um, maybe underwater uh, kelp farming. Um, we're going to get into some really fun underwater stuff in the next episode that we're not going to spoil right now involving mm-hmm. uh, water sports and mm-hmm. uh, modes of transportation. That's correct. And speaking of our future selves, let's put some more pressure on those guys. Look, folks, the uh, future host of Ridiculous History of this next episode that you're going to hear uh, in just a little while, they're going to tell, they're, they're going to do a bang up job. It's going to be amazing. You're going to leave feeling like you went on that ride at Epcot. I think it was Epcot where you go through these different versions of the future. Is that Spaceship Earth? No. Maybe it was. I don't I, remember. I just remember the very end, you could check. Someone write in and, and let us know what this is. At the very end of this ride, uh, you could choose how to how to end the ride. You could fly underwater or through space or the desert or something like that. Uh, let us know. We want to know what you think of these predictions. We want to know your other favorite predictions from yesteryear about the 21st century. And if you're feeling uh, frogman-y, then uh, take a leap and let us know your predictions for the future. I want to tell you guys these things, you say, shouting into the void, waving your fist in the air, but I don't know how to get in contact with you. Well, we can fix that right now. Yeah, first of all, stop shouting and 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 lower your fists. This is this is a safe space. Uh, you can reach us on the internet very easily. Um, no void shouting necessary. You can find us on our Facebook group. It's called the Ridiculous Historians. All you have to do is name a name, my name, producer Casey Pegram's name, Ben Bolin's name, anyone associated with the show that we list in those uh, ubiquitous credits that we do at the end of every episode. A topic, anything that lets us know that you're an actual human person who's a fan of the show and you're in. Lots of great meme sharing, lots of good conversations. Maybe be some uh, some other predictions. I would love to see that. Uh, you can also find us on the various social media outlets of your choosing. Uh, we're on Facebook as just like a page. We're on Instagram. We're also available as individual human people. You can find me on Instagram at HowNowNoelBrown. Send your weird predictions or uh, weird retrofuturism stuff to me directly on Twitter or on Instagram. I'm at Ben Bullen on Instagram. I'm at Ben Bullen, HSW on Twitter. As always, thanks to our super producer, the man of the hour, the man of the future, dare I say, Casey Pegram. Thanks to Alex Williams, who composed this banging track. Thanks to our own Nikola Tesla, the one, the only Gabe Luzier. Christopher Hasiotis here in spirit. Uh, Eve's Jeff Coates, check out her new show that she's executive producing, J.Ill, the podcast featuring the one and only Jill Scott. Also, a daily show that Eve's does called This Day in History Class. Uh, Jonathan Strickland, the quizster, I believe he's due for a New Year's appearance any day now. Um, no spoilers, but I, I just have a feeling. It's we always happen. say that, but we mean it. We time. do. We do really mean it. Um, and thanks to you, Ben. Happy New Year, my friend. It's good to be back uh, on the Zoom with you again. And Happy New Year to you, Noel. Here's to many more episodes and New Year's in the future. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results, like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com compatibility. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon Waterways can go where the big ships can only dream through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. 